This is the Open to Alchemy podcast, and I'm your host, Lauren Ivey. I'm so excited to have you here joining these conscious conversations about the transformation that's possible for all of us. My approach to spirituality has always been part woo and part work. So in this podcast, we talk about all the incredible spiritual modalities and add in a bunch of practical things that really make it fit into our lives. I can't wait for you to join me. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Open to Alchemy podcast. I am here with Sarah Wild, who is a certified Gerson practitioner and board certified acupuncture physician. Her company is Wild Detox, and I am so excited to have you here and talk about so many things. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. This is incredible. You have so many different things that you do and super impressive, obviously. I'm obsessed with acupuncture. I'll give you my whole like miracle story about it, but I'd love to just hear how you came to the healing arts because what you do is like serious, serious healing. That's right. So how did I come into the healing arts? I think that this has always been, it's a natural progression. Um, It's always sort of been something that I've been drawn to. So as a small child, it was like, oh, I want to be a veterinarian. I want to take care of small animals. And then I found out you had to do some nitty gritty work. You know, sometimes they need surgery and I wasn't ready for that. Um, But as I evolved, I kind of stepped into a caretaking role. I started in the arts. There was a bachelor's in fine art, painting, drawing, photography. I became very curious about the spiritual aspects of art. And while I was in that, started studying chakras and yoga, and then even some more esoteric practices, some medicine circles, Native American circles. And it it expanded my kind of consciousness and awareness. Um, With that, I stepped forward into massage therapy, teaching Pilates, um, really getting into the somatic therapies. Acupuncture was a natural progression. So I got my master's degree in acupuncture and Chinese herbalism. And from there stepped into the Gerson therapy, which is a metabolic dietary therapy to treat cancer patients without traditional means. So no chemotherapy, no radiation. We're using diet and detoxification to help heal and recover their bodies. So it's been baby steps along the way. Um, But yes, it's now turned into something that has been incredible. It is both really hard and rewarding work. It's challenging in certain ways. You see people who are unfortunately in very late stages of illness at times. And other times um, people come very early and they're a treatment, you know, in their diagnosis, and then they're able to fully recover without any conventional medicine. So I love to see that happen. Stage one, stage two cancer patients recover very quickly when they're given a proper diet and detoxification means. And so is that the main client that you serve right now is patients that are, have gotten a cancer diagnosis? With the Gerson practice, yes, I would say that there is some autoimmune and sometimes people are just trying to get off of, let's say, blood pressure medications or medications for diabetes. You know, some of the things that you're told for the rest of your life, you have to take a pill. There's a resistance happening, right? Some people, some people accept that that's the path. And okay, I'm going to deal with this, but some people are sensitive and have side effects to the medication. So when they have that side effect, they don't want to be on it any longer. Um, And with that, they'll seek out alternative means. And often one of the things that we really need to be looking at is our diet. What we put into our bodies becomes biologically who we are, right? So it's going to change our hormones. It's going to change how Um, our body is manifest in the physical world. I think it's really important to be able to look at those things. And do you think that it's just become more prevalent because of all the toxins and the environmental issues and all the, you know, for lack of a better word, crap that we consume and are subjected to? in the air and in the water, that these types of diseases and autoimmune conditions and allergies are happening more? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a very succinct yes. Um, So kind of what has happened, I will say in the last maybe 50 to 70 years, 
Um, let's just talk about food firstly. It used to be that we ate whole foods, things that came up out of the earth, off of a tree, or if we had farmed an animal, right? Or hunted an animal. Well, now we have all of the preservatives, additives, food colorings in these food-like substances that are marketed to us and are actually manufactured to make us crave those substances. So that first and foremost, I think has been the shift that we've seen in the last 50 to 70 years. In addition to that, pesticides on our food, right? So when we have these farming practices, these agricultural practices, a way to make them sustainable is to spray them to make it so that other bugs and critters aren't eating it um, or to allow for their growth. And we really only feed a lot of those plants three different minerals in the soil that they're needing when I think it's over 17 or maybe even 22 is supposed to be feeding the plants themselves. So we're getting a very limited resource of nutrition within the food that we are consuming if we are eating a whole food plant-based diet anyway. So it's that combination of the lack of nutrition and then having all of the toxic elements that you just had mentioned. So it's going to be all the chemical cleaners that we're using. Um, you know, we're much more fluent in being and using transportation. So it's going to be gas emissions. Um, we're seeing a lot of contaminants living indoors that we maybe weren't as exposed to. So these are things like mold exposures, heavy metals from the paints that we've used. So it's that type of um, environment that has allowed for this toxicity to build up in our bodies. And then we are not efficiently detoxing at this time. So we're not sweating as much. We're not exercising as much. We're not exposed to the elements. We're not putting our bodies through situational duress. And we used to do that. That was just part of being out in the world. We'd be exposed to the cold or the heat, and that would push our bodies to extremes where we would be forced to adapt. With that being said, we only used to live till 30, 40, 50 years old too, right? So now we have twice as long in our lifetime. We live to 80 or 100 years, and we have this exposure happening because we've completely changed the way that we've lived in the last 100 years. So it's just a really interesting phenomenon that has allowed for cancer specifically to become more fluent. Um, autoimmune is a really interesting process. Usually that is all back to the gut and then some type of hormonal dysregulation. And again, the presence of molds, heavy metals, et cetera, in the body that start to manifest and look like autoimmune disease. So autoimmune is when your body's natural, healthy cells start to attack the tissues of the body. The immune system is overreactive and it recognizes everything to be a foreign invader. And it goes on this hyper inflammatory state that will look like um, rheumatoid arthritis or some of these lesser known SLE, lupus, that type of thing. So when you start going through a checklist of all of the ways that you could look at autoimmune, the manifestations of it and make sure, okay, we've treated any food intolerances or allergies. We've looked at the hormonal imbalance. We've looked at the level of heavy metals and molds in the body. And you start breaking it down the people who have been diagnosed autoimmune often can get back to health. So we see that most frequently with people who are given the diagnosis of Hashimoto's or even type two diabetes. I have so many feelings right now. It's, it's so sad to see where, how far we've, we've come and how far we've gone off the path of even you know, when I think about my grandparents, so two generations ago, how much change and how they only bought what was in season because that's the only thing that was available and they walked to the corner store and they got their meat from a butcher and they, you know, they had so much more connection. And then think about one generation before that where they didn't live in this country and it was very much dependent on what was in season and what was available locally. And you know, and then you think from the other perspective that 
there's so many people who go without food and farming. I mean, I've watched so many documentaries. It is such an incredibly hard life and they're doing incredible work. And for so many reasons, you know, you, you also understand why to work so hard to produce a crop and then have a bug come and completely decimate that crop. And then that farmer has no money and no subsidy and nothing to show for it. It's like a, a hard thing to sort of grapple with. It's clearly not a black and white issue. And obviously there's been incredible advancements when it comes to distribution of food and hopefully distribution of income, but it does feel like our bodies are under attack. It's true. It's true. And I think the remedy here is to teach people. I know we have incredibly busy lives. A lot of the things that we've done have now um, made what normally was routine and part of our community interaction mundane. So fast food, for example, rather than sitting down, creating a meal with your family and your neighbors, enjoying that time, taking a few hours to make a good, healthy, robust meal. We can just drive through a restaurant in let's say two to five minutes, depending on how long the line might be. Right. And, and you sustain yourself on this food-like substance, but it's not true food. Now, when it gets into farming practices and you're talking about having a bug, you know, one single insect come in and eradicate your life's work at that point, yes, it is terribly devastating. I think with the advances in technology, solar power, hydroponic growth, there's another way to be able to do this that's more sustainable with the environment, with the practices that we currently have, but it's not widely embraced yet. And when we're talking about feeding a greater mass of people who are without food, that's why we are so interconnected in the world right now. And these trade systems are so important. Um, it is also equally important to teach ourselves, to teach our children how to grow our own food. I think that it's a beautiful practice to do some simple things beekeeping. A lot of people have a fear. Listen, if you have an allergy of a bee sting, maybe this isn't the practice for you. <laughs> okay. But maybe we just grow a couple of flowers, things that the pollinators are attracted to. If you are able to get into beekeeping, um, being able to grow your own mushrooms, to make your own kombucha, to make your own kefir at home. Some of those practices are really easy. You can even teach your children how to do those. I'm talking grade school, right? It's a log that you buy to be able to inoculate for the mushrooms with the mushroom spores. It comes in like a little vial that you just squeeze and you keep it in a wet, dark place and boom, mushrooms, you know, you just give it a little time. Um, for some of the easier gardening vegetables, tomatoes, everybody can grow a tomato. It's really hard to kill it. <laughs> yeah. You just need to be able to give it a little dirt, sunshine, some water, you know, make sure that it has the right efficient minerals for it to grow. And then in your particular temperate zone, knowing what grows and when you can do window boxes, even if you're in a city, you can have those, I forget what they're called. They're towers. Are you familiar? Mm -hmm, yeah. The tower that you can grow lettuces and things. Um, there are a lot of things that we take home with us that you can regrow from scraps. Um, pineapples, celery, a lot of the herbs that we take home, you can regrow just by putting in water. Avocado, the big seed in the center, you can grow your own avocado plant. You just need to know what you can do within the means of your home. So currently I live in a condo. I have a small garden on my patio. It's enough to sustain me and give me a little flavor, things that I know are going to be organic, well-nourished, not sprayed with chemicals, right? So we need to get more into those practices. I think that it's very important to cultivate a community around you that's willing to do that and then work on some sort of barter or trade system. Everybody has that. It's a way of getting out of sort of the mainstream um, what is marketed to us, what is being told to us that we need to have, right? Get in contact with your local farmers, start appreciating those individuals who show up at the farmer's markets who are selling from underneath their tent, go visit them on location, allow it to become an educational experience for you and your kids. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing like trying to grow your own food 
to help you appreciate how incredibly hard it is. We're so lucky. We have this beautiful little backyard and every season we, we try as we might to plant a variety of different things, but you realize how dependent it is on the weather, how dependent it is on the squirrel activity, the bird activity, the slugs, you know, all the different things. And then people complain about having to pay extra for the organic or for the local. And then it's like, okay, you try to grow lettuce. It's hard to grow it. You know, we just <laughs> planted all these beautiful fall veggies. And within two weeks, all the broccoli and the cauliflower and the kale, everything has been decimated. And I don't know what's eaten it. I don't know what happened. And, you know, we're lucky. It's okay. We can still go buy more, but it does give you that lesson of getting that connection back to your food, which is exactly what you're talking about. And then you have an appreciation for it and you don't want to throw away a lettuce leaf that just doesn't look perfect. Like we worked hard to grow that. We're going to eat that. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up some of the objections that people have and the value of finding community. And you really do have to seek it out because we all feel like we're busy. We all feel like we don't have time. And it really feels like more and more, it's, it takes the effort to go against the current of, I'm just gonna go to the big box store. I'm just gonna buy what they have. I'm just gonna get the fast food, you know, buy the prepackaged meal, do the multi-snack thing. And it has to be really embodied as one of your values. And I was just having coffee with a friend of mine who works in the environmental space. And we were both sharing that it is very hard on the individual level to continually fight against this like overwhelming at times, it feels like pressure and that in so many ways, if it came from these corporations, and it's not that many of them that control so much of it, that if they were doing things that were more environmentally friendly, packaging, you know, different things, it would, it, it's hard for it to be at the individual level, basically, is what we're saying. And how frustrating it is when you're inside value of knowing that it's important and wanting to eat whole foods and wanting to impart these incredibly important things with your children don't match your outside action for whatever reason it is. I can say this. I'm not ready to take on the FDA right. or Congress, <laughs> right? And there, and there are people that do, uh, yeah. Dr. Mark Hyman, you know, there are individuals, Joel Furman, they are active. They're active in trying to change kind of the laws of the land, as we say. Um, I'm not ready to do that right now, but what I, where I am focused is on educating individuals and families on how to take better care of themselves. So let's say you go to the big box stores. Let's say you frequent the grocery store or even, um, use app services to ship groceries to your door because you were now even too busy to be able to make it to the grocery store. There are too many things that require your attention. Give yourself permission to take a break during the right season in your area. This is usually somewhere between April to August where there are local farms that will allow the you pick, right? You pick apples, you pick berries, you pick figs, you pick oranges. Take a little time out, make the connection, make it a family event and give yourself permission to then keep visiting that farm, that farmer and buying their product, develop those relationships. There are individual farms that will ship to your door as well. And you're then supporting direct to the farmer. There isn't this kind of consumerism where it has to be trucked to you, packaged a certain way, you know, in plastics, which we don't need to get into, but we know is devastating for the environment, right? So you can just make these small shifts. Just start with one thing that you can tackle. Yeah, we, we're so lucky living in Atlanta that we have so many different places really within an hour or two drive. So that's definitely on our um, quarterly or seasonal thing to do the strawberries and the blueberries and the blackberries and the peaches and the apples and, and all those incredible things. 
getting back to the food element for people that are really starting to get more of that connection with with what they eat and how they feel how would you advise people to start to dive into that? I know a lot of people recommend food journaling and food diaries so that you can make that more intimate connection. If somebody were to really want to focus on it, do you believe in an elimination diet to start? What are some of your keys? Mm, First and foremost, I think that it's important to take inventory just for three days what you are consuming. Mm -hmm. What is it that you're putting into your body? And yes, how you're feeling. What is your current status of, I'm going to say symptoms. Let's talk about it in terms of your energy during the day. Do you have sustainable energy? Do you have peaks and valleys? Do you get the 3 p.m. crash, run through Starbucks, right? Get more coffee. Just take note of where you are now. So in terms of journaling, that might be the one area that I would recommend journaling. Let's just figure out what your status quo is, a baseline. Um, For individuals who are very busy and they do fast food and they don't make home prepared meals, my challenge to you would be start with one home cooked meal per day. Whether that's going to be breakfast or dinner, let's just choose one. And it can be simple. You don't have to make complex recipes. You can do four ingredient recipes. Look for them, they exist. The books, the internet, there are plenty. Um, For people who already eat fairly well at home, they make plenty of home cooked meals, I would challenge them to one plant-based meal per day. For individuals that are already aware of how food is impacting them. People who already subscribe to specific diets, whether that's going to be veganism, keto diet, um, choosing to not have nightshades for the sake of autoimmune conditions. Let's look at what you already are doing, your established baseline, and where can we add a few more tools and tricks? Some of the simple things that are always recommended by um, naturopaths and holistic physicians, start your day with fresh lemon water. So use an organic lemon, a few tablespoons. Yeah, (laughs) you're drinking it now, I love that. A few tablespoons of fresh organic lemon in some clean spring or distilled water. The reason you do that is hopefully you've slept seven to nine hours the night before and you are in a semi-fasted state at that point. When you put the lemon water in, it creates alkalinity in the body, which fights off disease. You want to keep your body in a natural alkaline state. A cheat, a lot of people say, oh, I can just drink alkaline water. Well, we don't necessarily know how alkaline water is manufactured unless it's being pulled from an alkaline spring. They often put baking soda in our water and then say that it's alkaline, right? So you want to make this at home. Even though lemon is acidic, once it hits the internal organs, it actually creates alkalinity. So I would really encourage you to do that. Um, For those of you that can stand apple cider vinegar, those apple cider vinegar shots or fire cider, especially in cold and flu season can be really powerful. Oh, I love fire cider. Oh my gosh. And I just walk around to my family and say, just have a smell of this. And they look at me as I take it down. (laughs) Yes. And then let's talk about like making your own elderberry syrups at home, Mm -hmm. maybe adding chlorella or spirulina, which are those green algaes that are really powerful for detoxification and energy support. Um, I absolutely love chlorophyll drops. I think chlorophyll in a little bit of water can be so incredible to help pick up energy so that you aren't as fatigued. Get into herbal teas. Just again, looking at the small places that you can make improvement to make more sustainable energy to give you a better quality of sleep. The basics. I'm feeling very good about myself right now because I was listening to you and I was like, check, check, check. And it's only because I have had various health related things that I have been able to make that connection and, and I'm interested in it and I've spent the time to, to do it. And then somehow when it comes to the family, and I think that this is a common thing for women, even if we are able to manage it for ourselves, having that integrated into our partner, our children, that's a little bit of where that separation is in terms of 
them following along the same thing. You know, like I love to make a smoothie. Not everybody wants spinach in their smoothie or I will have the seeded grain, gluten-free sprouted bread and that's not everybody's favorite. Right. <laughs> so I just keep offering it. You know, that's what I say to my husband. Like I just keep making it. I just keep offering it. I made a delicious gluten-free banana bread, you know, very low sugar, natural sugar. And of course the first day everyone's like, oh, why did you make that one again? And then throughout the week, everybody's eating it. So that's just my advice to people that are like me. And like, maybe they're on a different health consciousness level than their family, just keep serving it, just keep putting it out there. I have read, I'm, I don't know if you've heard this too, that I think it takes seven plus times of having the same thing before your taste buds are like, okay, maybe I do like the broccoli. Maybe I will eat the Brussels sprouts. Yes. So in terms of family, children, spouse, partner, um, neighbor, friend that you're trying to get into a healthier lifestyle, um, make it fun, make it a blind taste test, right? Give them a little blindfold, try this, try this, tell me what this is. How does this taste? How is this different? So that can be kind of a fun protocol to take on with people. Now, in terms of serving up something healthy, when you have different restrictions than your family, um, I deal with this every holiday. So my sister and myself are both gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free. We have different nut restrictions. She can't do coconut. I refuse to do almonds and peanuts. So we're just kind of in this funny um, pocket where I come from a very Italian-American family and there's a lot of butter and a lot of wheat and um, plenty of cheeses in a lot of what our traditional holiday meals are. So what will happen is either we make two different meals, which yes, it can be complicated, but that keeps my sister and myself very healthy and we're okay with that. Or we make something that has a base that we can all have, right? So we can make maybe a risotto or some quinoa, add in some of the vegetables that everybody's happy with. And then we take half of the meal apart and set that aside for ourselves where we'll dress it clean. And then we add all of the cheeses, <laughs> the butter and everything that everyone else likes to the other half of it and allow them to enjoy themselves. Now it's kind of funny because what will happen is often we'll make what's good for us and we'll put that out on display with everybody else's stuff with like a little place card that says, Hey, this is the gluten-free dairy-free version of, and it disappears so much more quickly because everybody wants to try it. And often they'll end up loving it because it's a simple, clean flavor. Um, so with that being said, yes, keep offering it, you know, keep putting it out there, getting your, your kids, especially like, we're just going to try it you know, just try it. Let me know. What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? They can get really specific. They don't, don't let them get away with, Oh, I don't like it, but why is it too sweet? Is it too bitter? Is it because there isn't enough crunchy, right? You want to get yeah. specific with them. And, and that way you can start to adapt to what it is that they're needing more of. Um, you know, you can start with some things that are simple with kids, some yogurt with fresh fruit, as opposed to that kind of gelatinous fruit-like substance at the bottom of the container. Yeah. And yogurt right? has so much sugar. It's incredible. A little yeah. tiny cup. If you look at the side, that's a big thing that we're looking at now is the sugar consumption, because as you know, it's in absolutely everything, right. 16 grams of sugar. So I say to my kids, okay, let's see how many grams of sugar are in a tablespoon. And then you count out the tablespoons full of sugar and you look at the size of the container. That's like half, that's half the container is full of sugar. That's why it tastes so good. Right. And Again, because it's manufactured to make you crave it. Right. right? And that's so what I sugar does. Sugar, yeah. the, sugar creates the addiction. Right. So outside of the sugar craving or the ingredients that they're putting in fast food, you know, the, the little flavor droppings, do you feel that if we are craving foods, that that's something that our body is missing? For example, I'm not a very big meat eater. I'm pretty much 80, 85% gluten-free, dairy-free, non-meat eater. 
but I really practice intuitive eating. So I allow my body to tell me, is that the right thing to do if people are following that or does somebody have to get clean, so to speak, before they can tackle that? Um, well, why don't you look at a food craving chart? It exists. It is a quick Google search, Oh, okay? a quick internet search. So when you look at what you crave, um, let's say it's breads, right? You want that kind of yeasty, cakey bread. It's like your body is craving phosphorus, nitrogen. Well, where else do you find that? You look into the leafy greens, you look into broccoli. And so what happens is your body is smart enough to say, I'm craving but then it's not necessarily looking for it in the right places. So you're able to start to supplement differently. If you are wanting really oily and greasy foods, there's something in the oily and greasy food that your body is missing, usually some of those essential fatty acids. You can get that in a lot of other places, flaxseed oil, a good quality olive oil, um, even things like avocado and coconut, right? So you need to be able to understand the biology of what you're craving and then support it through healthy means. Maybe before eating the piece of cake, before having the sweets, you give yourself a little bit, let's say grapes, maybe even um, some dried fruits. Does it satisfy the craving? If not, okay, maybe you have a bite, two bites of whatever it is, but make sure you're filling up on what a good food is prior to the food-like substance that you might be craving. Mm, that's fascinating. I never heard of a food craving chart. So I'm definitely yep. going to have to look that up because I think that's so interesting. And you're saying that it's just whatever you're familiar with that you're looking for to fill that craving. But what our bodies are actually craving is that nutrient or other element that is in the thing that we're just familiar with. That's exactly right. Oh. There's a reason that you're craving it. Yeah. So for sugar, for example, um, it's going to be things like chromium, phosphorus, tryptophan. One of the greatest things about sugar is that it picks you up and gives you energy. It gives you that happy feel good. What it does is sort of manifests the serotonin rush. So a lot of people who are feeling blase, depressed, or that life isn't exciting, life isn't sweet enough, they tend to gravitate towards sugary foods. But what their body is really saying is I need the tryptophan. The tryptophan is a precursor for the serotonin, which is going to give you the happy feel good. Well, everybody knows turkey is mm -hmm. one of the things that gives us tryptophan, but what about sweet potatoes, spinach, even cheese, if you can do some dairy, right? So you want to start getting a little bit smarter <laughs> than just what your body is telling you and get specific about ways that you can supplement yourself in a healthy way first. So what to eat instead becomes a really powerful practice when you are subject to the laziness of just allowing the craving to take over and to run through the candy aisle at the grocery store. Right. Mm -hmm. I'd love if we could talk about acupuncture and how you pull that into practice. I think it's, I mean, to me, it's a mainstream therapy or modality, but I know for a lot of people, there is that fear of needles. They only what they know that they've seen on TV with the person with 400 needles sticking in them. So what, what can you debunk about acupuncture for people that are, have not tried it before? So firstly, for people who have needle phobia, these are so tiny. The needles are the thickness of a single strand of hair. Although you can at times have a powerful reaction to the needle it isn't often the needle that's causing the sensation. So what we're doing with those needles is activating the energy body or the chi. So there are channels, grid lines in the body that we want to have circulating consistently. They're all supposed to be interconnected like rivers, feeding each other. Wherever there is a block in our energy, 
It's like an eddy in the river. The energy is swirling, swirling, swirling. It's going nowhere. And on the other side of that eddy, there's a lot of weakness. And so that's how we start to have physical and emotional imbalances. The goal of acupuncture is to make it flow, right? Um, when we have blocks and a needle's inserted to move the energy, move the chi, it can have a really powerful response sometimes. So you'll get a pop, a punch, a zap. And as long as it doesn't feel like you've stuck your hand in an electrical socket, that's your energy actually shifting. If you get the electrical socket feeling, you know, we're a little close to a nerve. There are some areas that the nerves are more exposed than others. Um, with that being said, the way that I use acupuncture in practice is for people who have gone through a lot of the more physical modalities to help heal and recover their body, physical therapy, they've done the dietary therapy, and often they need another modality to help them come up out of whatever their illness or disease process may be. So to get them into better balance, to make sure that they have healthy functioning immune systems, to make sure that the diurnal rhythm is in balance, I'll use acupuncture to unlock emotional blockages. This is a really powerful one to start moving energy, even though the chakras and acupuncture are two different medicine systems, they're both dealing with energy in the body. So when you look at a person's body as an acupuncturist, you can see whether the energy has shifted to left or right, top or bottom. There's kind of a heaviness in another area that's not sharing with another, we say jiao, there's three areas of the body below the belly button, between the belly button and diaphragm and above the diaphragm. So we want for there to be an established balance. And then we also look at how the body manifests through all seasons. Most of us struggle in one season. For some of us, it's the winter with that eternal darkness, seasonal affective disorder, um, springtime allergies, right? This is a big one for people. Summertime, people have temperature dysregulation or let's say like rosacea or tendency towards having hot flashes. Um, that's a lot of sleeplessness type of energy, right? Um, fall, we can go back into the allergies for fall, but also people experience a lot of grief because a lot of the holidays start coming up and there may be things, um, different energies that they've attached to emotional things that have happened during the year or the years past that that time can really bring up for them. So they need a little bit of assistance letting go. So we need to be sort of mindful about how our body is moving through life and it really should be sort of all of the energy that we come into contact with in life is moving through us. We don't get stuck anywhere. And that's the goal of acupuncture, to get us unstuck. So often I'll have patients, even if they aren't cancer therapy patients or autoimmune patients, um, that are just looking for better resonance, better health, right? They might be sick, chronic, sinus, upper respiratory issues, or digestive issues, or they have a bum joint, whether that's a knee, a wrist, the neck, and they just need to be in better alignment. That's often where acupuncture really serves. I practice a lesser known or maybe lesser practiced aspect of acupuncture. So there's kind of two sides or two families. One is traditional Chinese medicine, and then there's another branch called five element. So in five element, we really use the Tao to guide us. We look at the seasonal aspects. We look at the manifestation of five elements within the body. And I think it's an incredibly powerful practice because we're looking for the root cause of disease. What they believe is that as we manifest as human beings, there is an area where we have both our greatest weakness and our greatest strength. So being able to identify and then treat on that sort of broken spoke, if you will, can help lead us to our gifts as we manifest through destiny in our life. That's so incredible. First of all, I'm sitting here in awe of just the wisdom that you have and have obtained and retained <laughs> the second element of being so impressive to me. Um, we are clearly different learners and just being able to break it down in a way that is so understandable and it's actually very empowering is the word that comes into me now because I think for so many of us we feel like 
optimal health is an is a nice to have is a is a dream i think so many of us function on just i'm doing okay i'm getting by i don't have an illness per se or i'm just maintaining the status quo and what i hear you saying is that there's so many elements beneath the surface for which it's okay to just not be feeling fully ourselves and going to get an assessment, going to get help. You know, we're not making it up. We're not crazy. We are feeling misaligned. We might not know what that is or how to fix it, but that's, I think, a beautiful place for acupuncture to come in because clearly we can't tap into it the way that you can with your training and intuition. Well, and it's a different skill set as an observer, right? I'm an observer to your subjective experience. So you can come into me and say, I have these different elements of my life that feel out of balance. I'm recognizing this pattern in myself. I'm realizing that there is a block that I'm not getting past. As the observer, I, <laughs> this is funny that I'm saying it this way, but um, my job is to reflect it back to you and to lead you to the open door for you to step through a threshold to choose a different way for yourself. So often when we talk about healing as a holistic practitioner, I have to recognize that healing means the opposite of what you are doing now. So whatever it is that has led you to a place where you are uncomfortable, whether this is an, an emotional anxiety, depression, feeling tension, feeling stressed, or it has a physical manifestation, sleeplessness, either energy that sustains so much that you're not able to fall asleep or that you can't get up and work through the day. You're just so fatigued. Maybe there's, like I was saying, the little peaks and valleys, and there's a specific time that you realize that you're crashing, that you need more energy when you're running to go pick up kids. Those little elements, those can be looked at and improved upon, but it's up to you to decide that firstly, you want to improve upon it. Secondly, what do you need to do differently to get there? And thirdly, embracing the change within yourself. So my goal really is to say, hey, here's a different way that you could try it and see what fits for you. And if that doesn't work for you, then we can also try XYZ therapies or modalities to get you to that place. Really for me, when I'm doing this work, I do feel that I'm just offering a different way, a different path. And as the observer, I'm able to see more objectively. I can look at the pattern of what a person has been doing and be able to see it more clearly because I'm not in it, right? I'm not in the forest. I'm outside of it, looking at it and saying to you, okay, well, if we just make this one small shift, it might be the key to unlock the reason why you've been stuck in this particular pattern that has led you to this place of stress in life. Based on your years of experience, why do you think it is so hard sometimes to make change? Because all of the things that you're saying, they're not actually physically that difficult. Isn't it really a mindset shift that needs to happen? It's a block. It's something that's standing in the way of that change. We're creatures of comfort most often, unless you're that rare rogue seeker of new experience. And I think the other reason that it can be difficult to change is because of the society, the environment that you keep around you. Sometimes the expectation for you to show up in a certain way for the people around you limits you being able to show up for yourself. Mm -hmm. And what I found when I started shifting more into self-love and self-care, the people around me were like, you're being selfish. Well, okay, we could see it that way. But I know for me to show up in the way that I do for everyone in my life, that I have to have a certain level of self-love and self-care as priority to being able to do for anyone else I want to show up in a way that is whole and healed. I don't want to show up in a way that is fatigued and um, stressed out. Like, how am I going to be able to impart the wisdom of the ages <laughs> to anybody <laughs> if I'm in that state, right? Yeah. And so every day is a new day. You just start where you are. Forgive yourself for the past, for how you arrived to here. Be present with yourself and choose yourself now for a change to occur you do need to choose something different 
than what it is that you've been doing. Getting into that pattern is very much the riding of the bicycle experience. You're going to fall. You have to be able to laugh at your mistakes, to embrace your mistakes and understand that failure and mistakes is part of learning. So empower yourself when you fail, right? Okay, today I made a bad choice. Today I didn't do the thing that I knew I was supposed to do, but in the next hour, in the next day, in the next week, there will be other opportunities for me to show up for myself. So choose yourself then. It's such beautiful advice. And it is true that it's sometimes from that observer perspective that is required for you to see the thing because you are so in it and you are so immersed in your own stories, your own habits, your own reasons for something being or not being. And sometimes all it takes is that outside person who really has no skin in the game other than wanting you to feel better or do better or be, be more empowered. yourself. Yeah, yeah, be empowered. Exactly right. So. What are the things that you're working on for yourself now? Things that I am working on for myself. I have learned in quarantine how important sleep is. <laughs> that has been something that for many years, it's like, oh, I can do six hours and keep going. No problem. A cup of coffee will get me through the day. So for myself, the better balance of getting to bed, I say on time, I sort of historically would use the quiet hours of the evening to do all of the things that I didn't have time to do during the day or to not be disturbed by other people's um, energies, conversations, et cetera, needs from me. And then take this time to kind of be in this luxurious space. And then I realized that that luxurious space for myself these days is sleep. <laughs> I do a lot of healing and recovery in my sleep. Being in dream time, waking up with enough energy to meet the day is incredible rather than just sort of dragging week to week. Um, another area that I'm really working on right now is about balancing the emotions, right? So often we allow ourselves, and I'm speaking for myself personally, we allow ourselves to fall into a pattern of stress. So identifying those triggers and then observing the trigger rather than stepping into it. So there are situations in all of our lives, whether that's going to be about kids, partner, work-related stress, that we can fall into a pattern of allowing for them to pull us out of our center. When I'm treating cancer patients specifically, they're kind of locked in fight or flight, right? There's imminent death. It's knocking down their door, and I can really join them there. I can show up for them in that fight or flight way. And like, yes, there's urgency. Yes, I've got to do this for you now. But I've had to learn to align myself to what is an emergency versus what can wait 24 or 48 hours to have a response to and not to allow myself to fall into that same stress. So that's been an area that I would say in the last probably two to three years, I've had a lot of growth around. Because with them, I do want to caretake them for a very high level. They're very important. You know, the journey that they're on is very significant for themselves, for their family, and then for me as a practitioner, feeling the responsibility towards them. But I cannot be stepping fully out of myself and rushing to their needs and caretaking for them outside of what a normal, my normal work hours would be. So past 10 p.m., I'm not going to be available until the next morning, right? Because I'm not an emergency services physician. There are people who will be able to serve you. And one thing that I'm always aligned to and that I like to stay in a pattern of self-care is by as going out into nature, going out, being outside, whether that's at the beach, in the mountains, in the forest, taking time to retreat where I'm away from the Wi-Fi. I think that that's an incredible time for my own self-healing. Mm, so good. And I'm thinking as, as you're, we're speaking about caretaking for these patients, what a gift it is to be able to have that empathic boundary and show up for them in a way that is potentially in contrast to the intensity of what they're feeling. And 
I'm so grateful on their behalf that they are able to find you and, and be able to work with someone like you. And, and just for all the healthcare workers who over the past 18 months, but really every single day, just give and give and give of themselves in a way that people outside of that field will never, never truly be able to understand. The same as with the first responders. And it's just incredible how we've all chosen or been been chosen to do certain things in this in this life. And just in just sharing this for people listening who don't get to have an intimate conversation with people that are very different from them. And that's one of the reasons that I love to do this podcast is getting to talk to people that in so many ways are, are different, but at the core, we're all the same. And we all want the same things, love and peace and freedom and harmony. And, and just that we all are here in a different capacity. And so just sharing my musings on that. Yes, I love to say there are many realities within our reality. There are so many different experiences that is part of the collective human experience. And although we may not understand another's experience, we can have compassion for the fact that they do bleed red, right? I think that that's so important to keep the wisdom of that, even as we're encountering a lot of more stressful situations these last few years than we have ever before. Our world is hyper-connected through the use of media and the internet, um, making sure that the people that you have around you are supporting a, I want to say a proper or healthy level of consciousness for yourself. You know, you've got to really clear out any negative energies, really support yourself where you're at um, and allow yourself to embrace the beautiful experience that life can bring forward, as you were saying, peace and harmony and love. And I think that that's incredible. And you're right. We all do want those things and you have to make it a simple practice for yourself to allow yourself to enjoy that. Don't let yourself get stuck in the stress. (laughs) I know. And it's really, it's, it's so true. And just like the food habits and just like the sleep habits, it is a very frequent practice and habit to disconnect from the stress, from the the pendulum that's pulling you from this crisis to that situation, to that conflict. We don't have to hook into it. And I think that many of us are addicted to knowledge. We're addicted to being in the know, having the information. You know, we don't want anything to get by. We want to be informed. And I feel like at what cost is that information? Did I really need to know that? Has my life changed for the better for having all of this extra information about everything that's happening with everybody? And the other thing, circling back to what you said early on, is it is hard to continue to pull away from your former identity once you see yourself in a different way, because what does that mean for my family? What does that mean for my relationship with my friends? Uh, You know, now I have to, someone's going to have to make a separate meal for me, or someone's going to think I'm better than them or any of these things. And those are all choices of how we see reality. FOMO is a very real thing. (laughs) FOMO is a very real thing. And as you're saying, we are an ever evolving awareness. Like we, part of the human experience is realizing that we are here to learn whatever that means for you. And that can happen at whatever pace you decide and about whatever subject you decide. So you get to determine your destiny, but I would just encourage you to have a little bit of a consciousness, awareness around what it is you're choosing. Yeah, definitely. And I think even that practice of the the three-day food journaling and how I'm feeling, I love to suggest that for people just as a regular practice in their life. After you've checked Facebook, 
how do you feel about yourself after you've watched two hours of news? How are you feeling after you had that conversation where someone was gossiping and you didn't want to be part of it and then you got sucked into it? And that consciousness is something that is, like you said, it's a practice. So what, what is your practice for feeling into that consciousness, that higher mindful space? My personal practice for getting tapped into that is about taking space away from all of those practices, right? Mm. Um, truly, I love to do things just for an hour or two, maybe once a week that I know is entirely about myself and prioritizing my needs. So that might be a nap. It might be a walk. It might be um, you know, doing something like I was saying out in nature, going for a swim. I like to move. I think movement is very important. I think movement is synonymous with health and growth. So, um, doing it in a natural way, not at the gym. I think that it's so important. Meditation looks a little different than sitting on a cushion and taking an hour on the clock to breathe. For me, it's movement. So being able to, like I was saying, go for a walk, go out on a bike ride, go for a swim, take in the elements. Sometimes for me, it even may be going to the city, going to an art museum, checking into other people's sort of um, awareness and consciousness in their lives. What are the things that they are looking at? And just kind of taking a, a glance, looking at the ways that other people interpret it to create another a place of variety for me to experience myself. I think that those are really incredible practices. Just look at the areas that maybe I haven't looked at before or look a little bit more deeply. I love that. And that is so reflector. I'm over yeah. here like, yes, 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 yes. Sarah, for those listening, is a reflector in human design, which is about 1% of the population. So I love multiple times throughout the conversation, you just the way that you communicated and shared things just hit all the little reflector um, checkpoints. So I think that's really incredible that you have been able to tap into that and attune to that because it is definitely a unique energy. A reflector has all of their their centers, their nine centers open or white or undefined. And so that means that you are always um, taking in and discerning and having to sort of sift through what's yours, what's other people's. And also, just as you said, then reflect that back that your environment and the health of your network and your community and your intimate surroundings is so critical. And that incredible gift that you have in being able to share that, reflect that back out into the world. It's just, it's so beautiful. Really your whole, your whole mission, what it sounds like in so many of the conversation that we had today is a reflection of the health of ourselves and what we're eating and what we're taking in and, and how that's being manifested. So it's really, it's beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Tell everyone where they can find you. You have so much wisdom to share. And, you know, certainly for anybody that has a diagnosis, knows somebody that has a diagnosis, but also for people that are just looking for a different way of being healthy and living in this world. Sure. So the one place to get in contact with me is going to be online at wilddetox.com. That's W-I-L-D-E-D-E-T-O-X.com. Uh, from there, you can find Instagram, YouTube, interviews, this podcast. So we will have um, on that website plenty of information. There's some library access available about different food as pharmacology, um, different modalities, healing modalities that you may want to try, and just a basic introduction to those things. Um, I would be more than happy to speak and consult with anybody that's looking for a better place for themselves, for someone that they know, even if it's something simple. Okay. Don't ever feel afraid to ask for help. If you know that there's an area that you are looking for improvement, if I myself am unable to serve you, I at least know somebody that can get you there. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of this incredible information. 
I feel super inspired. I like want to do a complete cupboard pantry clean out. I'm getting rid of everything. (laughs) (laughs) And just a reminder that even if it's feels hard or it feels like, oh, why do I have to do this? The benefit of feeling good, nothing feels better than waking up every day and having energy and having a good digestive system and feeling like you are in alignment with what you're eating and what you're taking in. So thank you for that needed motivation. (laughs) You are so welcome. Thank you all so much for listening to the Open to Alchemy podcast. You can find more about me on all the social places, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse, at open.to.alchemy. That's open, the word T-O, alchemy, or at my website, opentoalchemy.com. See you next time.